Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, our special guest is Sarah Tanizi. Sarah is the CEO of Tanizi Tech, an IT service provider firm. They help companies build the IT foundation to support their business goals, and they manage the IT as the business evolves to ensure that the IT continues to be a tool, not a hindrance. Sarah also hosts a podcast for people interested in technology and leadership called Tech Me Seriously. She's used to interviewing people, but has agreed for today to be a guest and uh, let me interview her. So let's welcome. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Joni. Uh, I'm excited to have you. This is fun to interview a host and get you on the other side of things. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you have a great story, so I, I would love to start there. I mean, you have this rich experience in tech and also in business, but I want to get like earlier. How did you become interested in technology and, and when did you know that you wanted to work in that field? Well, it's so funny because I was starting college. I'm going to date myself for real here a little bit, but I was starting college in 1994. And at the time I had an aunt who worked at Hewlett Packard and just kind of on the fly, I went to study linguistics at to UC Santa Cruz and kind of on the fly, she said, you should study computer engineering. And I was kind of like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> And up to that point, I never had a computer at home. You know, at, in high school, we were still learning keyboarding. So how to mm -hmm. type, you know, QWERTY style, um, but really no computer classes. And so it wasn't even until probably my sophomore year of my engineering program that I actually had my own computer that I could play with at home. And so that was kind of the very, very beginning. Um, I studied, I studied engineering for a few years and, you know, my English professors used to say to me, there's no way you need to be an engineer. And I struggled with it. It was really hard. And again, like dating myself at the time, there was no MIS course of study at UC Santa Cruz. And really that was sort of just becoming an industry that one could get into. And so I ended up leaving the engineering program my junior year and really trying to figure out what might be a good fit. And I went to junior college and I studied childhood education and I studied accounting. And I really became clear that I wanted to do something business focused and with my engineering background, I wanted to do something with technology. And then all of a sudden, MIS was everywhere. And so I kind of finished this course of study at a junior college after being a junior at UC Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. and then went to Santa Clara University to study operations and management information systems, so MIS. And I kind of fell in love with IT as a business initiative. And that's kind of what got me started. I love it. I love it. You know, I talk to so many young people who are trying to figure out their careers and to hear the story that you don't have to know right away and you can explore and come around to what you love. Sometimes it takes a little while. I appreciate you sharing that with our audience. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. I mean, I have children, you know, college mm -hmm. age now. And if you don't know your passion, it is absolutely fine. It will. It took me a really long time. Well, same here. You know, I started out as an engineer. 
And yeah, now I uh, went back to school and studied psychology, but I, I make it all work. It fits together. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about your work experience now. Sure. Yeah. So you started out with some actually pretty well-known big companies in Silicon Valley, like HP and Adobe. Yeah. Um, so what did you learn during those times about leading tech teams in these roles? Like perhaps you were a team member when you started and learned from your bosses to maybe yeah. evolving into leadership yourself. Tell us about that. Well, and it, it that was such kind of a, an interesting time for me because I did start at Hewlett Packard as what they were calling dis, a district associate. And that was sort of an elevated administrative assistant who was going to be helping with projects. And I worked in the test and measurement organization at Hewlett Packard. And what was really important about the people that I worked for at Adobe and at HP was that they knew I had studied engineering mm -hmm. and they knew that I wasn't really meant to be an administrative assistant for my career. Like they really took it upon themselves to encourage me to move on. So wow, that's fantastic. I had excellent, excellent managers at both of those companies. And so when I first started HP, I was a district associate. I took a little time off to have a child. When I went back, I went to Adobe and at Adobe, I was also an admin. Um, at that point I was, let's see, I was still, I was still at De Anza college taking classes to figure it out. But my manager at Adobe said the same thing. He said, Hey, check it out. You have a year to work for me. And you need to use your engineering skills and your tech skills. And so all the time at Adobe, you know, I'm, I'm a gregarious person. I like mm -hmm. to talk to people. I ran into a woman uh, named Jennifer Smith, who I'm still in touch with today. And we were at the gym and I said, and she was a manager in IT. And I said, Hey, I'd really like to get an IT. And this was before the bubble burst. And so they were having a really hard time finding a senior Unix sysadmin. And so what they did is they hired two junior sysadmins. And that's what really put me into the IT space. And again, lots of supportive managers. Um, mm -hmm. within Adobe, so much so that they let me go to school full-time when I was studying MIS. So I was working in IT and I was going to school full-time and I was raising a kid, my husband. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a lot, but there was so much support that I had that I was really kind of engaged and enthusiastic about the path I was on. You know, that's such a different experience than some of the folks I talked to because you had like the ideal managers who were interested in your growth and development and helping you in your current role get to the next role. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, obviously it, it paid off for them too. You were motivated and probably delivered great results for them, but it also empowered you to continue on in your journey after them. Yeah, I feel lucky. I definitely feel lucky. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So you you did all this and then you came um, and started your own um, IT consulting firm. Yes. So uh, tell us, like, how did you make that transition? That's huge. Yeah, I love this part of the story too. So I worked at Adobe for about seven years and then I decided um, that I really wanted to get into IT leadership. And at the time that I was at Adobe, it was a really fun time because Adobe had started making some really interesting acquisitions. And so right before I left, Adobe acquired Macromedia. 
And we did a really big integration project. And that was really fun. And I met some great people that came from Macromedia. And I ended up going to Wageworks, where a bunch of them kind of landed after the acquisition. And Wageworks was a 300 person company. So, you know, with Macromedia at the time. So again, we're, we're doing like this whole kind of timeline game. I think Adobe was going to be about 7,000 people after the, the integration was, was complete. That's huge. But think about how big they are now. I mean, they're they're really big now. And so, um, so anyways, I, I was ready to do it leadership. We had just done this awesome acquisition. I went to uh, Wageworks as the director of it services. They were 300 people when I started and their growth initiative, A, they really wanted to go public. And that was a main goal of theirs. But they also wanted to grow via acquisition. So it put me in this really unique position of, you know, being, I was in charge of IT services. And as part of that role, I did a ton of vendor management. And I also did um, a lot of project management for the integration work that mm-hmm. Wageworks was doing for the acquisitions. So I traveled nationally. I got to speak to a lot of leadership teams about what was important about IT. And it was really during that time that I understood that IT is about, you know, service, security, and productivity. And that's really it for me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave me the confidence in in kind of gaining that understanding to start Tennessee Tech. And that was 10 years ago. And, you know, a lot of people thought it was risky, um, but I kind of was really, again, enthusiastic and solid about the path. And so it's, it's been a really fun journey. So what gave you the confidence? I mean, it sounds like you were just, yeah, you were enthusiastic, but what gave you the confidence that it was going to work? Well, you know, we were, so I was meeting all these executive teams Mm -hmm. and I was really starting to understand kind of from a business perspective, what IT meant to an executive team. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing these beautifully managed and I'm not saying I, I managed them by myself, but we were executing these really brilliant um, acquisition plans and integration mm-hmm. projects where we would like do this work over a weekend um, and employees would come in and not even realize that they were now on WageWorks IT systems. And so after kind of, I, one of my guests told me one time, like experience breeds confidence, mm-hmm. whether or not you fail or succeed, right? Like that experience that you learn from kind of gets you there. And we were just kind of executing these beautiful projects. And oh, by the way, like we were doing, we were working with technology that we may not have touched before and that we really had to learn about and figure out how to integrate into our systems. And so there was a lot of technical work that went into this stuff. So the more we learned um, and the more we succeeded, the more I realized like I could go do this for companies. Mm -hmm. And naively at the time, I didn't realize that, you know, the IT managed services space was beginning to get very crowded. Yeah. I mean, it's a crowded space today, but even at the time it was just like, let's do this, you know? Yeah. Well, you've managed to navigate that. I mean, it it may be crowded, but there's still so much need out there. So exactly. Um, Well, okay. Um, You went from working in so larger companies, I mean, 300 isn't huge, but, right. uh, but then all of a sudden leading your own team. Yeah. So what's, what's the difference there, you know, like in terms of the leadership, uh, in the, the bigger organization versus the startup, what kind of lessons have you learned? So I think where, 
where I kind of landed on all of this is IT is about being resourceful. Mm -hmm. And so if you can listen to what your customer needs and you can figure out how to give it to them, you're generally going to be in a pretty good space from an IT perspective. And for all the technology that goes into this work, mm -hmm. it's really about service for us. And so I think that helps us become um, invaluable to our clients. Mm -hmm. And like, that's on the client side, right? Is, is how do we really execute your IT strategy as, as kind of a partner, not just a vendor. And then the leadership side of it is really interesting because when I was coming up in Adobe really, and well, WageWorks too, with these like really high stakes projects, it's like you would put your life on hold to do IT projects. And that in my mind is not what right. things are today. Like, I think we've swung a completely different way where, hey, people have lives. And so how do we lead through, you know, enormous stress and challenge and success knowing that people have lives as well, right? Like their job is not their life. And it's taken me, I think, a long time leading a team to get, kind of get there. So what what's the secret or, you know, how have you gotten to that point? You know, I, I talk, I talk about this a little bit with the team and I even had somebody come and talk to us about this, but I know that like a lot of people, and I'm going to shout out Brene Brown, even though mm -hmm. I really haven't read her, her books very much. Um, but, but I think there were a couple of things that, that came to light for me. One was, Hey, we don't have to give our absolute best in every single thing we do. We have to meet the requirement, mm -hmm. right? And so so I had a little bit of a problem with perfectionism, yeah, I might okay. say. That's where I was getting with that, right? Because I want to do an amazing job every mm -hmm. time we kind of step out on the field to tackle a project, right? But at the same time, like, do we have to be so dialed into like a minute by minute schedule? Like what benefit do we actually get in being that rigid? right? Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And so I started to kind of understand that maybe five years ago, I can almost remember when I read an article about this, like, hey, you don't have to be absolutely perfect every time. And then I saw this woman, Vitaly Buford, who I interviewed, mm -hmm. and she came and talked to an executive forum about perfectionism and how it will ruin your team. And I saw a lot of that in how I was leading the team, right? Like just holding people to these super unreasonable standards when really what I'm trying to do is create opportunities for people to do their best and be their best and learn some technology. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I finally hit my stride from that perspective. That is actually very common in technical fields because I mean, on the one hand, the details matter and, you know, getting it right is important uh, in the delivery of a, a product or, or a service. But on the other hand, knowing, you know, what is perfection and what is good enough and what meets the, the needs is, is something else. And letting go of that, I have conversations with technical leaders about that all the time. In fact, even just this week, I was talking to somebody about it and what, like what you said, Sarah, as a leader of letting go of that, maybe we would say micromanaging, you know, the details, right? Because um, you're, you're concerned about uh, the perfectionism and realizing that other people can do it differently. And maybe 
not get the the Sarah Tanisi standard of you know perfection, uh, but it's still a great a great end result. That's right. hard. Yeah, right. It it was it was really hard, and I almost had the opposite. Like, I I think I could definitely put my I think it's my personality style to micromanage when I get stressed out. Uh-huh. But I almost like one of the things I had to learn about too was how to set an expectation up front mm-hmm. because I always just assumed that everybody knew what I wanted. Yeah. And so I'm like master delegator. I'm like, oh, you're here now. This is all for you. And then I'd like walk away and expect it to be mm-hmm. what I wanted. So mm-hmm. then there was this whole kind of epiphany of like, hey, you can tell us what you want up front. You can't just assume we know and then be mad when it doesn't shape out the way you want it. And so, you know, it's it's definitely been a journey. Yeah. I also like what you said about listening. I mean, you're listening to customers, right? It's yeah. key to it being a service provider. Yeah. Uh, to hear, hear their needs, but as a leader, listening to your team members too, uh, and finding out uh, what they've understood about the direction you've given them uh, t- to make sure that they are actually doing what you want. Uh, that That's a tough one too. So you've learned a lot in, in your tenure, I guess, 10 <laughs> years of tenure. Yeah, doing exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So I'd like to hear a little bit about your podcast. The name, first of all, is wonderful. Tech me seriously. How did you decide to go out and do a podcast? And, you know, like what, who is your audience? What's it about? Tell us. Yeah. So um, I decided it was like January of 2020. And a friend of mine said, hey, I think you'd be great as a podcast host. And I think it would help kind of get, let people get to know you. And the thing that he probably didn't even know about me at the time is I love other people's stories. Mm-hmm. It, it, I really truly believe that our past shapes who we are in the future and that we all have a really interesting story. And so the podcast is really meant to highlight the passions of people that have been wildly successful in their careers, but also successful in kind of building great teams. So what initially started as a podcast to, um, to really highlight women in technology, it really ended up being a podcast about highlighting leaders in both business and technology. Um, and you know, there are some amazing men out there that I needed to, (laughs) that I needed to interview. They wrote some great books that I, that I was lucky enough to read and then, and be able to interview them on. And so, um, that's really what it's, it's shaped up to be. And I'm having a great time doing it. And I got to tell you, every time I do an interview, interview, I'm like, man, I love that person. And my producer is always like, you love everyone, Sarah. So I'm having a great time. I could do, you know, podcasting a lot more than I even do. Well, you know, that's actually setting you apart a little bit. I mean, a a tech person who loves people. Wow. You know, (laughs) I'm telling you, I think about those English professors at UC Santa Cruz that Mm -hmm. were like, "Mm, I don't really see the engineer in you. (laughs) And you know, it's there, it's definitely there. Um, but, uh, yeah, but there's this other part of me that just really likes people. Oh, that must really resonate with your customers too. I mean, when you can get there and actually have conversations with them in English or, you know, I mean, I'm assuming English, but, you know, basic language, not like, right, right, right. you know, 22.2, blah, 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 you know, code, this, that. I have to tell you, I have a really wonderful customer that that has been with us for a few years and they did an RFP and I came and, you know, interviewed with the leadership team. And she told me after the fact, 
um, that part of what they liked is that I wasn't solutioning their technical problems in the room. We weren't mm-hmm. going to talk about your network issues, right? I wanted to talk about outcomes and I didn't even realize I was doing that at the time. And so like for all you MSP folks out there, like mm-hmm. leadership teams don't want to talk about technology, right? They want to talk about productivity. They want to talk about service and security and scalability. And so it dawned on me that, that's what the conversations now need to be about. Mm-hmm. Now that makes a lot of sense. Their problems are not your problems in IT. You're there yeah. to serve their problems and um, and do it in your technical way. That's why they hired you. And not with jargon. Like right. if you if 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 anyone like checks out tenisitech.com, there's a great video about Bob the IT guy. And I'm sorry for all the Bobs out there that are IT guys. Um, but but that is really common, right? Is that you've got somebody internal who's been there a long time, who doesn't know modern technology. And I think when you start to lose some of that, some of that kind of confidence in the new solutions, you become condescending and that's where the jargon comes in. And now all of a sudden, like your executive team has no idea what you're doing. Yeah. I love the word condescending. I hear that, uh, from, from business people, uh, that they feel like, uh, the technical people can be condescending. I mean, it can go both ways, certainly, but, uh, taking that out of the picture and respecting and understanding where people are, that they don't have the same understanding as you of that particular topic, I think is, is huge. Yeah. What a way to build a relationship. Well, I want to ask you about another another thing, because you mentioned that your podcast started out uh, really focusing on women in tech. Um, I know you're an avid supporter of women in, in mm-hmm. technology, and I was curious, what kind of challenges do you see women in tech facing that are, are different from the ones that men face? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm thinking back to kind of what we've talked about already. And I, I definitely tell a very sunny story. And it was like I had a lot of really big opportunities that a lot of people helped me with. But I also did deal with some of the other things like I certainly mm-hmm. had professors say you should just quit now. I certainly didn't get promoted as fast as some of my male counterparts that hadn't been around as long. You know, there were definitely things like that that have happened throughout my career. I definitely was told to go get a, you know, go get technical certificates when I already, you know, achieved a degree in the field and, you know, was working for people that didn't study IT as, as, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, practice. Um, and, and like, all that when I was saying, no, 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 I'm going to go lead a team. Like, I don't need to be more technical. I'm ready to do this leadership stuff. So, I mean, there were certainly challenges along the way. So, you know, when I think about how do we get more women in technology, I really think everyone says this, so this is not new, right? We got to start earlier for Mm -hmm. sure, right? We have to take some of those those gender biased roles kind of just out of the picture, which I kind of feel like, and I don't know if it's because I live on the left coast. I don't know, but I kind of feel like that's sort of happening. Like we Mm -hmm. know so many really smart young women who are now studying technology. We, you know, I feel like some of that is happening, but there's a a kind of portion of the population that I'm really interested in. And it's young, underprivileged, and it could even be men and women, but especially women, right? Because I always felt like I, I, people don't grow up and say, I want to be in IT, Mm -hmm. right? So how do we take a 20 year old person and give them a leg, a leg up and an opportunity to see what it's even about? 
And so throughout my career, I've sort of, again, I've focused on this service thing and I can find people who are like amazing in like a service industry, like in a really nice restaurant. And they're like, turns out they study math and turns out they love music and they love gaming. And I'm like, Hey, you want to look at it? And there are enough places to get people with very little experience into IT. And oh, by the way, if you're 20 or 25 today, you grew up with technology. You're not like me. Like you have Mm -hmm. an iPhone in your pocket, most likely, (laughs) Um, you know, and really kind of creating opportunities to give younger people the chance to even see what IT is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like proud of being able to do that for people because at least give you an opportunity, you know, and I think that's where business owners can, can do a little bit as well. Well, I want to highlight that, Sarah, because you do that actually at your company, right? Absolutely. I mean, you've taken people in who don't have that background and taught them and yes, yeah, so you're modeling this, you know, it's a great idea abstractly, but you're seeing success there. Hundred percent. Now I'll tell mm-hmm. you, it doesn't always work out, right. right? But I, I mean, I can easily point to, you know, probably five to ten women who I said, "Hey, do you want to try IT?" And they are succeeding like beyond their wildest dreams, mm-hmm. right? They're going from making, I don't know, twenty bucks an hour in a service industry job to one hundred and fifty thousand working for a startup ap- after two years of working with us right? Is it sad to see them go, but it's so rewarding to see that they were able to parlay that, that tiny opportunity into like a career. Like you can tell, I get very excited about this. Well, this is just a full circle here. Like we started out about talking about your bosses back when you were starting out, you know, giving you those opportunities. And now you're doing that, that what goes around comes around and you're hiring people and, helping them learn for their next step and they're being productive while they're working for you, but that you are not holding them back. You are actually empowering them to do even more. That's exciting. Yeah. And I mean, how many industries can you say that about? And that's what I love about technology, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can learn at this stuff. Mm-hmm. You've probably been doing really basic IT support for most of your life. Again, if you're a 25 year old, you've been helping your parents, you've been helping your grandparents. And I do want to say one thing about that. That is not really the company that we are, right? We came out of enterprise. And mm-hmm. the reason why I think it's it's important to say this on the heels of this discussion is, you know, a lot of people hang a shingle in this industry. Right. And so I get really kind of like, hey, let's talk about what good IT looks like. But I kind of have married the two, like, Hey, we can, we can develop people and give you great it support at the same time because we're actually enterprise it people. I don't know if that made sense. No, it does. It does make sense. And your, your customers are companies, not individuals. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of, uh, if people want to get in touch with you either for it support or podcast information, how would you like them to reach out to you? Well, I would love to hear from people that found something like this interesting. I'd love to hear from people who might want to get interviewed. Um, The podcast is techmeseriously.com. 
So you can check out the podcast there and I'm pretty easy to find. My last name is spelled T as in Tom, E and as a Nancy ISI. So I'm Sarah Tanisi on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also find us through tanisitech.com on our contact pages. So it's pretty easy to find me. Um, would love to kind of talk more about technology with people that are maybe having a problem or are looking for their next kind of move. So we'll see where this goes. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll have all that up on our show notes page too. So awesome. people can come to Reinventing Nerds and, and find out your info. Um, if they're not, the, if they're like driving, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, as people tend to do. Well, this has been fascinating. You've been a great role model for the younger people listening, for uh, managers who want to figure out how to attract and retain people. Because I mean, these days it's really hard. And if you're developing them for their next step, um, while providing good solutions to your customers, you know, that's, that's the magic, I think. And, and you've really found a great way to do that. So, um, Sarah, I want to thank you for being a guest on reinventing nerds. Well, I appreciate being here. Thanks a lot, Joni. Well, thank you. And thanks to all our listeners and viewers, and you can find us on reinventingnerds.com and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.